Is this chicken what I have or is this fish? What are you? An idiot sandwich. Idiot sandwich what? An idiot sandwich, Chef Ramsay. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? Congratulations, you're a meathead, son, but you know what? Don't ever put your hands on my underwear. This is the lamb Where's the lamb yeah, I mean, you really don't make friends around here, do you? I, I didn't come here for that. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Snap Back to Reality, the podcast where we revisit the trash TV we grew up with and love to hate. I'm your host, Riley Ennis, and this is episode 15. And joining me for this episode is my very special guest, Mike Scheinberg. Hi, say hello, Mike. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for um, being a guest. Um, Mike is a fellow clinic escort who I met when he was in town guest escorting, um, as we like to call it, and he's also doing research for a book. Um, so do you want to tell a little bit more about what you're writing about? Sure. Um, so I've been a clinic escort in the Washington, D.C. area now for about 10 years, and I had the opportunity a couple years ago to see what clinic escorting is like in different parts of the country. And uh, from there, I just, it became fascinating to me to be able to see a lot of the differences, uh, a lot of the different challenges and a lot of the different um, advantages that different areas have. So I'm writing a book about my travels around, uh, trying to see what happens in front of uh, clinics, basically what's going on on the sidewalk. And I've been all over the place. I've been to North Carolina. Uh, that was actually the first place that's where I went was a Raleigh, but I've also been to Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and most recently, Ohio and Michigan. Yeah, that's, that's you're, so you're, cool. Yeah, I'll be visiting your state soon to anybody who's listening. <laughs> Reach out if, you, uh, if you're a clinic escort and you want to talk to Mike. Um, all right, so, but this is not a political podcast. This is not a podcast about abortion and those kinds of things. This is a podcast about reality TV, and I am excited for this episode because you picked the show for us to do. Um, so I this did. This week, we're going to be talking about The Amazing Race, Season 7. Um, and yeah, do you want to tell me a little bit more about why you wanted us to talk about this show, this uh, season, or even this episode in particular? Sure. Uh, the Amazing Race, I've always found interesting for a couple different reasons. Number one, um, well, first of all, just a little bit of a precursor here. I'm old. <laughs> I'm in my late 40s. So for me, uh, being able to take a look at reality TV uh, starting in the year 2000, it was really kind of a fascinating thing. This thing called Survivor just mm -hmm. hit the airwaves and everything exploded. And then suddenly Big Brother, which was uh, pretty big in Germany, started to uh, hit the, the airwaves in the uh, U.S. and everybody seemed to love that. The Amazing Race is nothing like that because The Amazing Race is just basically it's a game show, but just uh, multiplied on so many different levels. And I liked it because it was just people who were really good-natured, I want to compete. And that was what it was all about. And just the, the backdrop of it is winning a million dollars and being able to go all around the place and having a host who is not smarmy, who's just this really cool <laughs> guy. And the reason why I wanted to pick season seven, which I had watched when it had occurred, is because that was the season that we had um, Robin Amber from Survivor, uh, who were contestants. And I think this is when The Amazing Race changed and it turned into the same type of psychological thriller that uh, Survivor and Big Brother are, uh, with them starting to come into there too. And there are a couple other characters who just really were, you know, quite identifiable, and uh, a lot of fascinating things that happened in season number seven. So that was, I think, 2005 at the time. So yeah, yeah, it was. It was 2005. I, right. Um, so I don't know how old you are, Riley. I'm assuming probably less than 50. 
<laughs> yes, I am. I'm 26. So I would have been in, I think, sixth grade when okay. the race was airing. Right. This so I was, um, at that point, I was working for a company called WorldCom, which eventually became MCI and then Verizon. And one of the things about this also is we were in this place uh, economically in our country where uh, companies like Enron and WorldCom uh, basically just went under because of some uh, financial mismanagement. And a lot of people lost their jobs. And one of the teams here happened to be a team which uh, one person was part of Enron, one person was part of WorldCom. They both lost their jobs. And it also, I guess that's one of the reasons why it also related to me. That's okay. So that's really interesting because I did see in the bios as I was reading through that um, one of the two of the team members, which I'm sure we'll get to, I guess we can probably reveal that it was the winning team of Uchina and Joyce. Spoilers, yep. but you know, it's a 14 year old show. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I had read in their bio that they were uh, in World Comp. I didn't know what that was. I, I know Enron because that was like the big, I, I remember that happening, but it, you know, didn't affect me personally. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it affected my college fund. But I wasn't really aware of that at the time. Right. And it was just a scary time also, just as somebody who I was pretty new in the work workplace at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I was in my early 30s, I guess. I was a new parent. And then suddenly my job, which every, you know, they, they thought that everything was going to be just hunky-dory and everybody's going to make a lot of money with WorldCom. And then suddenly like two-thirds of my department get laid, gets laid off because of these um, actions of somebody much, much richer than I am. And that was a story, you know, quite a bit for a lot of people in the United States who just had no control over um, their jobs just going away because money went away. So I guess that does really put another layer of just the, you know, wanting to win, needing to win that million dollars is knowing what the economy was like and knowing especially what the team um, of Yuchen and Joyce kind of they were going through on top of it was, you know, the thread of the season was kind of their individual fertility problems was mm -hmm. a motivating factor in why they were running the race. Um, but also, yeah, they had lost their jobs. So that's, um, thank you for giving more of that background because I really wasn't aware that that was also what was kind of going on in the times. Um, but, oh my God, my cat is right about to jump on my microphone. Please don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really loved this season. I had never seen The Amazing Race before. Um, I kind of, really? I had a vague idea of what it was, but my family wasn't really big on these types of reality shows um, growing up. So I never really watched very many of them. Um, but I loved this because it was like Survivor, but like no, no boring parts whatsoever. It was just nonstop adrenaline, go, go, go. And I like kept telling my husband, I was, I would go into the room and I'd be like, the amazing race is so good. And then I would like go back out and like watch another two episodes. I'd be like, I got to stop because my adrenaline is pumping too hard. But yeah. yeah I, I mean, right. And this has been one of those shows that we've really just watched from day one, from that first season in 2001, which also was just, it, it debuted right after 9-11 also. And that in itself was kind of interesting because it's a show about travel. And then suddenly at a time that nobody was traveling, you know, here's a show about people going around the world. Um, so it's one of those shows, and my wife and I have different tastes in, um, in what we watch, as I'm assuming that you and your spouse do as well. Um, but this is one of those shows that's always been something which we all love. It's something that my now 16-year-old also really gets involved in. Um, we, for a couple of years, had a kind of fantasy Amazing Race League amongst us where we would pick teams, we would see the intros to all the teams, and then we'd pick them and then, you know, they'd be on our team and we'd be, try to see who would actually have the most people on the team um, 
you know, throughout while other people are getting eliminated and then we would assign points and everything. Um, so we're kind of big nerds, but I mean, it was just a fascinating thing that we all just really got behind. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's very fun. All right. So let's just go into, let's go ahead. I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's go into the background of the show. Um, so like you mentioned, it premiered originally, the first episode was September 5th, 2001. So yes, 9-11 happened like immediately afterwards. Um, and the original idea I found was super interesting. Um, so there was like a husband and wife team who were the producers on the show. And mm -hmm. the wife was kind of, she had come back from a conference and was complaining about the lack of good ideas in television. And so her husband was like, okay, well, you come up with something right now. Um, and she was inspired by her time backpacking across Europe in which she kind of had to just interact with the locals and get to know people in order to get things and get to places and survive. And so she came up with the idea of a race around the world and just this opportunity for Americans to get out and see the world and be forced into these situations where they were kind of a fish out of water and they had to interact with people that they may, maybe normally wouldn't on a daily basis um, in order to, you know, race and potentially win a million dollars. Um, so I thought that was a really cool little like background of how it was created. It reminded me um, of like, this is also, I'm a big nerd, but it reminded me of like the creation of Frankenstein, how like Mary Shelley was just like dared to write a horror story. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Right. I like that kind of synthesis to it too. So when this happened, they were able to get somebody who had to deal with CBS at the time. Um, Mark Burnett had Survivor, but then there was another guy who had two, two shows one of which debuted in 2001, which is Amazing Race, and which became absolutely huge. And the other one was this show, well, the guy was Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, mm -hmm. who a lot of the films that he does. The other show that debuted the year before, around the same time as Survivor, was CSI, which became this huge, huge phenomenon as well. So they started uh, to advertise this as, you know, from the person who brought you CSI, we have The Amazing Race. So they were able to, um, the husband and wife team, were able to get in touch with, those, with that production department and really put the money and the production value behind this thing, which I don't think could work otherwise, um, because it looks like this is probably one of the more expensive shows to produce. Not just million dollar prize, but just millions of dollars that you have to have for production crews in every single country that you need to go through. Yeah, I was really struck by that as I was watching just because of um, how well everything was like set up and, you know, how smoothly it all ran. And it was interesting reading the background of how the crews would have to like be hours and sometimes minutes ahead of the contestants racing to get there and set things up before they got to the mat, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, Phil, the, the host, Phil Kogan, um, which I'm assuming you're probably going to talk a little bit about him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, he was doing video blogging and, you know, he was talking about, you know, he's waiting at the pit stop for everybody to come. The pit stop, for those of you who don't know, is the finish line for each leg of the race. Um, so, you know, he's talking and he's trying to go through, you know, some, some kind of anecdote of something that happened. And then he just has to stop saying, whoop, got to go. They're coming. And that was what it was like. It was a lot of unexpected stuff that they needed to just stop and get everything recorded. So at the drop of a hat. Uh, something would need to happen that way. So speaking of Phil, um, this I didn't know since I never watched The Amazing Race. Like I didn't know him as a TV personality, but I was like watching the show and I, his accent just kept striking me. And I was like, what is his, like, who is this guy and where is he from? Um, because he sounded so American most of the time, but there were certain words and I was just like, he sounds like he's Australian or something. 
So I looked it up and yeah, I found out that he was from New Zealand, but he was asked to Americanize his accent um, for like the presentation of uh, The Amazing Race. And I thought that was super funny because I, I heard it and I was just like, this is like a weird blend. Like was his one half of his family from America and the other half from New Zealand. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I also found out that he had originally applied to host Survivor and he was yep. kind of on the short list. Um, but, you know, ultimately that went to Jeff Probst. Uh, I can't I'll pronounce his last name ever. Um, and so Phil was kind of tapped for the amazing race instead. Right. And it's become a thing for him. I mean, he's Jeff Probst, I think also just kind of like this very cool laid back, not making it about themselves type of, uh, type of host. And that's why, you know, I think a lot of people really like Phil, um, in season 13, I think, um, you know, Phil is there uh, at the pit stop with uh, people from the different countries and from the different cities who then welcome the uh, contestants there. And in season 13, uh, they were in Christchurch, New Zealand, and uh, his dad was the one who was right next to him. And everybody was just flipping out. It's like, oh my God, that's Phil's dad. And it was just like such a, a huge thing because he was just this very friendly, you know, go lucky guy. And people were just like, he has a dad. This is wonderful. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I was trying to see if I could find any examples of him uh, doing any of his uh, TV work in New Zealand because I wanted to see if I could find what his accent was like then. Mm -hmm. Couldn't find anything. But um, I don't know, just really just such a great guy. He's somebody who you just want to have over for dinner. Yeah, he seemed like a, because he was, um he wasn't really afraid to kind of call out the shenanigans of Rob and Amber uh, whenever they kind of got ahead by maybe some unethical means. He would bring it up at, the pit stop, um, but he was also very like gracious to everyone else. So he, I thought he was a great host as well. Um, so this well, season, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, he also had a very good straight face. And mm -hmm. when he's to uh, tell somebody that, um, you know, they, they, they're just trembling because they're about to get eliminated. And it's just like, you know, Robin Amber, mm -hmm. team number five. And just like, they're like, whoa. And just, you know, it, it, he can just turn on a drop of a hat like that, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so typically uh, the shows or the uh, seasons of Amazing Race will circumnavigate the globe, but this one was uh, interesting in particular because it didn't do that. Um, so they went from South America to Africa to India up to Turkey and then through Europe and then back to America. Um, so did you know that like in particular when you picked this season that it was kind of unusual in that they like don't cross the international dateline and they don't go around the world? Only after I took a look at my own research for it, mm -hmm. uh, really never occurred to me. I knew that if they were going around the world to different places, I knew they were going west and then east, and it was kind of a little bit weird the way that they were doing it, but it never really occurred to me that this had to be an around-the-world type trip. Um, but yeah, this was a little bit different that way, but, um, and I think that some people were able to see that. But still, you're visiting pretty much um, every continent. Mm -hmm. is still not nothing. Yeah, it, it was um, interesting to see kind of the progression of where they went and um, how in, in this race in particular, this season, how it started out when they were in South America, they were just driving from country to country, but then finally they started doing the hopping on planes and flying from country to country, and that felt so much more epic somehow, even though they were still in South America and they were traveling into different countries, it just felt kind of I don't know, less because it wasn't that big like race to the airport to find the flights and see how fast they could get there. Right. And some seasons, it's interesting because uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll now say, you know, you have to take one of these two flights, ones where you actually have to find your own flights. 
you'll have episodes, not this season, but other, other seasons where you have people on different continents um, trying to get their connecting flights to some place that they need to go. And, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, in Iceland, somebody's here, but then Japan, somebody's over here too. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the exciting things. I, I always like the airport stuff. Driving in the car is driving in a car. Yeah. Uh, although in this season, driving in a car can become a little bit dangerous. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, were, there was definitely a couple of times when they would, like, overtake one another. And then, of course, the big thing that happened um, later on in the season where the team of brothers flipped their car and everyone kind of stopped or at least slowed by to check in on them, except for, you know, our, our devious team of Rob and Amber just drove right past. And they were first to check in because of it. Yep. They are quite the devious team. <laughs> um, so the show has done super well. It's uh, had great ratings and reviews, especially in the early seasons. Um, now it's on, I think, season, what, 31 or 32. So it has caught a little bit of criticism for, you know, the format basically staying exactly the same, more or less. Um, it's getting a little bit stale after, what is that, 18 years? I think that's a little bit to be expected. A little um, bit. But season 31, which I'm watching now, they're in uh, episode number four, I think is going to be coming out uh, this upcoming week. Mm -hmm. This is, um, I mean, they, they love the whole notion about being able to get people from other walks of life. Uh, I'm not really other walks of life, but other TV shows of life on CBS. So this one has just only, survive, only um, contestants from Survivor, Big Brother, and past seasons of The Amazing Race. So... Um, it's basically just once again a best of like all star season. It's just it's all specifically from these different shows. So seeing who makes an alliance with who is is kind of fun, um, and then also just seeing some of the other um, teams that just are are really great. Um, Tyler Oakley is uh, one of the, the team members, and he's done a lot of uh, he's he's just a, he's a YouTube star in his own right. Okay, yeah, that's he, what I knew him from. I didn't know if he had been on reality TV. Right. He actually uh, went on The Amazing Race first a couple seasons ago. Oh. He became a famous YouTube star. And uh, he came back this season, too. And he's, he's just pretty awesome. Okay. That, well, that's really cool. Um, well, also, The Amazing Race uh, has done super well with awards. It's cleaned up at the Primetime Emmy Awards. Um, it's won the, uh, what was it, Outstanding Reality Competition Program. Um, it won it for the first seven years after the award was created. It won it seven consecutive times. Um, and then after the seventh consecutive win, uh, some, some folks um, for other, from other shows suggested that maybe they should drop out of the nominations so that they didn't keep winning. And I thought that was just like really funny when I found that. <laughs> it's a formula that seems to work. One other thing before we start going into the season, into this recap, um, it also scales very well to other markets. So the Amazing Race Asia came out uh, first afterwards, uh, which is basically an English-speaking version of it with a new, different host. Uh, but everybody there is part of an, is from an Asian country. Amazing Race Canada became very popular. Um, I've only watched one season, actually about a season and a half of the Israeli version, Hamirot's Lachon, which uh, is also, it's very similar. The theme song is the same. It's just everything's in Hebrew. Uh, but they, they pretty much all know English. I would say that the... Uh, the contestant differences uh, between contestants, though, on different um, countries is is kind of interesting in that uh, Canada, everybody seems to be a little bit more polite because mm -hmm. Canada itself. Israel, for example, when they have to beg for money, you know, in America, you'll have people just saying, it's like, hey, please, I really need to do this. I'm in a race. Um, Israel, the, that version, you just have people like standing up in the middle of like a supermarket and saying, may I have your attention, please? 
my name is Asher, I'm from Ashdod, and I need your money. Just like really just no tact or anything like that, but that's just the way that they were doing things. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it really has become a huge thing. I think that uh, I was checking out that uh, Ukraine now has a version of it. Um, Brazil has a version of it. It's just really all over the place. And it is just a formula that works so well that you know, you're not reinventing the wheel if you're going to be doing another franchise of The Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the only, the other thing I did want to point out that I thought was super cool was that the founder of Tom's Shoes was actually inspired to start the company when he was on The Amazing Race um, because of, you know, traveling everywhere and kind of seeing the need. Um, and I, I just personally love Tom's Shoes as like a very comfortable shoe. I don't really know about the ethics of their donation program and things like that, but the shoes are very comfortable and the founder was on The Amazing Race. So it's very, it's relevant at least. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so we are talking about season seven. So I did want to mention, I don't know if you were aware what your thoughts were on the to- uh, at the time, but the controversy of the season finale, um, where at the end of the season, you know, it was coming down to the wire and Robin Amber had managed to snag a last minute flight to Miami. And then the, the jetway had pulled away, right, as Yuchenna and Joyce had pulled up um, and they basically begged their way onto the flight. Um, so there was this big controversy that production had intervened. Um, what do you think? Did you have an opinion on that at the time? I just rewatched this with my kid um, literally within the past hour. Uh, mm-hmm. How it was cut together. And it was cut in terms of like, no, I'm sorry. Then the jetways moves away. And then just you have that, um, that sound and the amazing race sound of like this shunk, like which sounds like, I don't know, somebody like strumming the, 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 the strings on a piano. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Um, and then you just see that, and then Yuchenna and Joyce really upset in the Puerto Rico airport. And then you come back from commercial, and then it's, they say it's up to the pilot, and then the jetway moves back. It's like, yes, you're allowed on. Um, according to the, I'm not sure how much you read about this. This was at least in uh, the Wikipedia article about this. They said that in the DVD release of it, the commentary that Uchenna and Rob were on, they said that this was not something the production did, but mm-hmm. this was specifically the pilot who then decided to give them a break. Now, how they knew, you know, is that something which a pilot would usually do in terms of saying, oh, they're just two people and they have to get on this flight when there's another flight coming up? I don't know. Um, but yeah, there, there was quite a bit of controversy at that time trying to find out if this was something that production was trying to manufacture. Um, hard to say. I mean, we don't really see much of what goes on in the show. And as any reality show, as you've already mentioned in every other episode, um, it has to do with the way the narrative that, uh, you know, the way that the show's cut together, how they're going to take a look at different things and how they're going to portray things. So I guess we'll never really know, but they're saying, no, we didn't uh, have anything to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I want to believe that it was just like good fortune and karma kind of coming back around since they had played a good, clean game and were just such good people. And I was really rooting for them the whole time, especially once they kind of, um, after their fast forward, their big moment where Joyce shaved her head, that was like so emotional. And I was like crying watching that episode. Um, So it was just like, I just want to say like in general, this season was amazing in terms of like the story editing and the character development, like truly the editors did just an excellent job because there was um, just the, the competing, like the competing storylines of Uchina and Joyce falling back in love and working together as a team and doing so well. And then you have the foil of Ron and Kelly who are like falling apart uh, the entire time and basically break up in the final episode, like on screen. 
Um, and then there's right. also Rob and Amber who they, they, their relationship doesn't really change in one way or another, but it's just shown as like, they're kind of not, you know, evil, but they are like devious. Um, but within their relationship, they're like so respectful to one another and they're like excellent teammates. So I just thought it was like really interesting kind of all of these different like archetypes and characters and how they act as spoils to one another and how they develop over the season as things progress. Exactly. And Ray, Ray and uh, Deanna. Also. Oh yeah. They were, I mean, I just like, my notes for them are just yikes. Right. Well, first of all, if, if it's um, the definition of dating on and off, usually <laughs> that combined with um, a shot of, one, of both of them doing mixed martial arts it usually means that there's a sign of trouble there. Um, and we'll get to the where are they now uh, with them, but uh, they were still dating on and off after they left, um, after they were eliminated from the race. And um, yeah, yikes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that was... Question that was for you, though, as somebody sure. who I think is um, very, very... What's the word I'm looking for? You have a very, very strong relationship with your hair. Mm-hmm. Or to be on The Amazing Race, and that... Would that be a conversation? First of all, would you want to be an amazing race, I guess? And I guess the answer to that is, well, duh, everybody does. Um, would, would that be something which would be, you know, as heart-wrenching for you as it was for Joyce? So I, I think I would probably have a similar, like, reaction as Joyce, whereas, like, she knew she was going to do it, but it was so hard for her. I think I would have the exact same kind of like journey emotionally because I was, you know, I, I was so invested watching every single episode. Um, so I like deeply considered like what would happen. And I was, I absolutely knew that I would shave my head, but I, it would be hard for me. Um, especially cause I don't think I would look nearly as beautiful as she did after she shaved her head. <laughs> she, yeah, she was breathtakingly beautiful, both with the hair and without the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a conversation that, that my, my spouse and I have had, you know, an amazing race and if there's a fast forward and it says that there's going to be something having to do with you know some kind of ritual are we going to do that are we going to say nah that's going to be shaving our head let's steer clear of that so these are these are the things that make uh you know a good very strong marriage is being able to talk about important issues like that I mean this isn't a marriage but I went went into work the next day and I asked my friend Megan I was like okay would you shave your head if you had a shot at winning a million dollars and she was like a shot at it no but now I have to go in and tell her tomorrow and be like okay but what if you win the million dollars later on right you shave your head all right so I think we should just go ahead and get into the recap so mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about um season seven episode three and the episode titles I guess I'm sure this is in every season but at least I noticed in this season the titles are always just a quote from someone um so this um, episode, right. sorry yes. go ahead they no, are the, you're correct okay well this one's called do you need some mouth-to-mouth resuscitation which is a quote from Gretchen Gretchen got a lot of the episode title quotes this season. She did. And it was interesting because the whole notion about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which she was uh, talking to her husband, Meredith, uh, which, by the way, they, I think up until this point, they, they got pretty far, and they have been the oldest team to really just to even make the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I think they were both, or one of them was 65, one of them was 64. Um, but they really just ran a great race. Now, the thing which I like about Gretchen is she will say anything <laughs> Just really just kind of fun. Um, there's, I actually have two quotes that I decided I'd like pull up the audio for. Mm-hmm. And one of them is um, when she was talking about, and right at the beginning of each uh, leg of the race, it's a little bit of a mini story in terms of like, you know, they're about to get to the mat and then they say, 
um, you know, we, we have this dynamic that we have in our relationship. So the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation was also something very, very playful between her and her husband. Mm-hmm. Then we have this one, which um, I'm going to try to see if this is going to work. Hopefully, you're going to be able to hear this. But this is about her verbalizing her thoughts. Hopefully, this one. I verbalize my emotions. I have a hard time keeping things to myself. Meredith understands me now. I love him to death, and I make it up to him in a lot of other ways. Okay, so the thing at the end, that like little organ thing of like, I make it up to him in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I think that that in itself was something which they're, they're really trying to be very suggestive with, which I think is, you know, wonderful because I like the notion about having, you know, some kind of sense of intimacy between couples who are on the older side. I think that that's wonderful. But I think- yeah, yeah, I noticed right. that too. I noticed how it was kind of that little like nod, like wink um, moment. And I thought that was cute. And like, yeah, their their whole like storyline was just beautiful, even as they were like getting eliminated, how Meredith was speaking about how proud he was of Gretchen and how like she was his soulmate. It was just, they were just, just a beautiful couple and so sweet to watch. But I did like, I was so worried for them in every single leg of the race. And I almost wanted to get them, like I wanted them to get eliminated because I was just like, please just go sit down and recover, but they made it so far and I was very proud of them. And that's the thing is like, she also had got her, her face was injured and like blood <laughs> during one of the episodes here. That's the other reason why I really like this one is that there was a lot of just action in this. So she just, you know, went ahead and just, you know, she said, it's like, oh, well, I've always wanted a facelift and just kind of laughed it off and just kept on going with it. Mm-hmm. All right, so jumping into this episode, episode three, um, we get our little previously on. So they went from Peru to Santiago, Chile. Um, Deb and Bianca, the team of Debbie and Bianca, accused uh, Rob and Amber of lying. Um, Rob then bribed the bus driver not to open the back of the bus doors. Uh, Subsequently, Rob and Amber won that leg of the race. Um, And then the last two to the mat were the brothers versus the two blondes, as they were kind of referred to. Um, it was a foot race to the end, and then the brothers uh, made it, and the, the two blonde gals, um, Heidi and Megan, were eliminated. Um, so opening now, they are in Santiago, Chile, and uh, they will have to drive to Argentina, um, find a bridge, and their clue will be there. Um, so we start off with Rob and Amber, and they're the first to depart. And so Rob and Amber kind of have this tactic that they use in almost every single episode where they just find a local person and like ask them to take them there wherever they're going or see if they can even like borrow that person for an entire day. (laughs) And so they find someone uh, to take them to wherever uh, the cars are going to be parked. So that's just kind of funny that like they latched onto that tactic and it, it served them super well in every single leg almost. So I have something here with them. They're, they're the first ones to leave at 12.34 a.m. Um, and this, I'm not going to get this granular for everything, I promise. Uh, but about three, three minutes and 15 seconds into it, uh, Rob, who is from Boston, he's Boston Rob, is reading off of the, uh, the clue. And the clue, I think, was made specifically for him because it says, and this is from the, um, the captions, your cars are marked and parked at the car park. <laughs> So I think that they were looking for specifically him to say that in a Boston accent. Oh yeah, you're right. And I think that that's really what they got for. However, this is what we actually heard. He actually pronounces it without a Boston accent whatsoever. Mm. I think that it was just, you know, that was something which was just so unexpected. And that, that's all the audio I've got. So don't worry about me doing this every three minutes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things there that I just happened to see. Your cars are marked and parked at the car park. 
So, but yeah, so they're off there. They're also looking for somebody who's going to be able to help them out. Uh, the best way to do this is with a police escort is kind of like the smarmy thing that he says there because he actually gets a, a police officer to actually lead him out of the city. Yeah, so um, so they're out. Then we have Ron and Kelly. And so another thing that happens is we get a voiceover, right, as they're setting out that uh, Ron says he's not sure that he's ready to marry Kelly. And that kind of just sets it up as their um, whole conflict of the season. So again, shout out to the story editors. Really, like you could study this season in like a literature class as like, here's the foreshadowing. Here's like the character development. Here's the story arc. Um. And so we have next up Ray and Dina. They set out. Um, that one thing I wanted to point out that I just thought was funny is they both mispronounced the, the Andes Mountains as the Anditas and then the Andreas, Andreas. Mountains. I, I have that in here too. Um, and then again, like it. we're just kind of getting a piece of everyone's kind of relationship in this moment because they immediately start bickering over something petty. Um, and that's again just they, they don't have a single conflict, it's just they complete and utter lack of communication skills i have over here you're always ignoring me i'm sick of it is um you know what what he's saying to her or what she's saying to him and then he says start asserting yourself and then soon suddenly after that she wants me to usher her through every situation she needs to step up and do it herself however every single time she steps up and does it herself she's either ignored or just talked back down to from him mm -hmm. so, yikes is probably the best way to put it yeah, there. Once they they got eliminated, I was really happy because I was just sick of watching them argue. And then Ron and Kelly kind of filled that void, uh, so <laughs> I just had to listen to people bicker the entire season. Um, and then Yuchina and Joyce uh, leave, and then they get a voiceover kind of about how their relationship had been tumultuous, um, or they'd been through some tumultuous times uh, just recently with everything and. Um, how being in the race was kind of their uh, way to get things back on track and figure out like where things had gone wrong because now they're going to be forced to communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. um, Lynn and Alex. Lynn and Alex, what did you think about Lynn and Alex in general? I wanted to get your thoughts on them. Lynn and Alex, I think we're a little bit too, what's the word I'm looking for over here? I like their dynamic. Um, I mean, I think that they were like any other type of couple who was dating for a very long period of time. Um, I didn't like some of their attitudes about certain things when they were in Soweto and they said, oh, this is more like Compton. And they thought that like the, um, the black people on the street would, you know, let's try to find the one who wouldn't have a gun. Like that. Yeah, they had some very like high key racist moments a couple of different times throughout the season. Um, so I really wanted to like them. And then I liked like their relationship with each other. I thought was really sweet, but yeah, the Soweto, and then when they were in India, I think at one point they were in the, on the rickshaw, and he was like, ah, oh, this is just the way to travel, and he was like waving, and he said, that, like Lynn specifically said this, he was like, I wish we had stuff to throw at them instead of throw to them, which even so would be kind of fucked up, but throw at them. Yeah, it's just, they, this was certainly their first trip outside of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure that's true for a lot of people, and there were right. a lot of moments that were a little bit um, racist. I mean, just call it what it is. It, it was racist, but yeah, I, it was a different time, and I think people were less cognizant of things than they are now. True. Um, um, also in India, where you had uh, Gretchen, like, you know, talking about the, you know, hey, there are two gay guys up front, um, which also kind of made me, like, you know, grip my teeth a little bit there, too. But I mean, mm -hmm. once again, was another time 
and we will get to some of the language that was used then that would not fly today <laughs> on you too. Uh, um, yeah. Or to come. My girls, Debbie and Bianca. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. so, yep. Lynn and Alex leave. Um, they point out that there's a yield ahead and that um, they don't, just in general, they don't like Robin Amber, then they want to beat them. Um, and then Debbie and Bianca leave. And since they, I think, do they both speak fluent Spanish or just, I think just Bianca at least speaks Spanish? I think, I think just Bianca. Um, but I think Debbie speaks Spanish at least like fairly well, like pretty conversationally. Um, but they're, they've been able to breeze through several of the last challenges just because they've been able to speak to everyone <laughs> and understand and get directions. Um, so and they, they hear the out. word carrera, which I think is really important that carrera. Oh, yeah. And I mean that, you know, as soon as you kind of hear that, then that's something which might, you know, stick people rather than just saying, you know, andale, andale, which just <laughs> doesn't sound, you know, once again. So I, I looked that up specifically because I was like, I don't think andale, and andale is Mexican slang. <laughs> Yeah. So it was like they weren't even saying anything. Um, that was uh, Megan and Heidi, the two blondes, who were always saying Andale, Andale to their cab drivers. Um, so yeah, uh, Debbie and Bianca, they're pretty well equipped for this. So they head out. Um, then it's Gretchen and Meredith, Patrick and Susan. Patrick and Susan are another kind of team that I was just like, mm, I, I really wanted to like you. And then I got you, I found you so annoying so quickly. I, I'll be honest about this one. I really, uh, Patrick is really gorgeous. So I, <laughs> I liked him for that. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the other thing too, is that they, you know, the, the quote that I have here is, you know, Susan saying, I want Patrick to be happy. I want him thinking he's a boyfriend in his life. And his response to that is, I think my mom wishes there was someone to keep track of me, like how she wants to keep track of me. Mm -hmm. I think that she wants to micromanage him in a big way. And he wants to be a little bit more independent than that. Um, but yeah, eventually you've got this meltdown that happens in this episode where you just kind of see their dynamic and you just see them fall apart. Yeah. Oh, in a big way. Um, and then last uh, to leave are Brian and Greg, the two brothers. Um, they're fun, but they have some like sexist moments towards the end of uh, their time on the season as well. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, all of the teams have like gone out. Um, Rob and Amber have found the cop hack, as he didn't say. Um, and they realize that that doesn't even open until 5 a.m., so they decide to go back to the hotel to kill time, um, and as the other teams kind of arrive, most of the teams decide to stay there. Um, Ray and Dina kind of just fall asleep on a bench. Ron and Kelly go to walk around, but then Debbie and Bianca decide to go back to the hotel as well so that they can go talk to people since they can and, like, get specific directions on how to leave. Now, this is kind of interesting, and I didn't really realize this until I was watching the second time, but they go for directions, and then they're the ones who end up so severely lost. Yep. So it's kind of so sad because not only did they, you know, go for directions and that was all for naught, but as they are getting directions, Rob and Amber leave to go back to the car park, and they steal their cab that was waiting outside. That'll teach them for accusing someone of lying, which... <laughs> accusing someone correctly of lying. Right. So, I mean, Rob, you know, whatever Rob does, he feels like he's justified for it. Um, but yeah, he, um, he asks the cab driver, how much do they pay you? Do they pay, you know, four? You know, Pago IDS, I'll pay you, I'll pay you 10 um, just to be able to get that cab and poach the cab out from them. Mm -hmm. and so, then they come outside yep. and they see the cab is not there. Yep. And then uh, they use the R word. So they say that, you know, do you see your cab? No, this is, yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
thought it's like maybe that's going to be something which okay you know that might fly because they're, they're saying this one time and they're really upset that's fine um then they say it again yeah <laughs> i know i mean it's just like come on but I, I was also using the R word like that in 2005, but I, I was also like 12. So, but I, yeah, it's hard. It's like how I kind of, how you feel about Patrick is how I feel about Debbie. It's just like, she's so gorgeous that I'm just like, I want to forgive her for everything. Right. Um, but yeah. it doesn't matter that Rob even stole their cab because everyone arrives back at the car park in time. Um, so it opens and everyone runs in to grab their cars. So this is the point where Rob stops to get directions from the police officer and he asks if they can just show him, like drive them onto the freeway, which is what they do. Mm -hmm. um, all of the teams get onto the Al Norte Highway, um, but except <laughs> for... Susan and Patrick. I don't know how they got so lost just trying to find this. And they got lost for like a good hour and a half or so. Just driving around town. Right. So I, this is, this is the geek that I am. Um, so I will pull things up on Google Maps. Oh, I did that too. I absolutely did. I was like, where is, okay. uh, what, it was Punta Viejo? So, okay. Punta so, Viejo. So, um, Punta Viejo actually pulling that up, that, that took me a good hour because it's actually not on the map. Mm -hmm. uh, Google Maps, uh, there was another um, Punta Viejo, which is somewhere further down. But I was, What, like 16 hours away? Right, but I was able to find the right one. It's just, it's, it's not marked as Punta Viejo anymore. Um, but either way, trying to find out where exactly they were going to get onto the El Norte, which is basically your Interstate 5, let's put that for mm -hmm. Chile. Um, how do you get to that? And it just did not seem like it should be so hard to do. Mm -hmm. But for them, they were just going around in circles and um, everybody else was leaving when it was dark out and you know, they were still in Santiago when it was light. Yeah, yeah, when it was like super light. Tough. Yeah. Right. Um, so all of the teams, they get on the highway and then um, they pretty immediately veer off onto Los Andes, I guess, is like the, the highway leading them where they need to go. So we see like, you know, as individually, each one of the teams gets off on uh, to their exit to the right, and then Debbie and Bianca just keep on going straight, um, and they, they end up missing their exit, but they don't realize that for quite a while. So when they do that, and I don't know if you want to uh, talk about that now, or if you want to talk about that when they discover that they're in the wrong place, uh, let, let's talk about it then, because it's more of a... Yeah, we'll just go, yeah, chronologically. Um, so the other teams are driving, so this, like, view, the shots of the, um, the roads into the mountains is ridiculous. Like, it's so beautiful, and the way that the road is just carved in that zigzag, like, switchback, like, to lead them up the mountain um, was interesting. I've never been to any kind of place like that, like, in South America or anything. Um, so I think that's another reason why this show, I guess, is, has so much appeal is so that people can travel with them and, like, get these um, cultural experiences through their television screen. Right. Um, so the teams kind of just discuss the upcoming available yield and whether or not Rob and Amber are going to be yielded. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that no one used the yield here. So I, I don't really understand. I mean, I kind of get it, but I think the yield that was used in this season was probably not used in like the most strategic way. So have, have there been examples in like other seasons of like better uses of the yield kind of feature that they have? Well, I would say uh, they, they just had a yield. Well, was it a yield? Yield, I think, has gone away. Yield okay. was for the season. 
uh, where once again for yield, you, you say, I'm going to stop a team. So when they get to this point, they need to turn a timer over and uh, wait until that timer runs out. And that's about 20 minutes or so. Uh, now what they'll do is they'll do what's called a U-turn, which means uh, for your roadblocks, which is you have to choose between two activities, a U-turn say, okay, I'm going to make sure that this team now, when they get to this point, they have to do both activities instead of just one. Mm-hmm. So those get used pretty well to try to, you know, people back. So if you're trying to make sure you're not going into, la- you're, you're trying to make sure that you're not in last place, then you'll do that to a different team. Um, if you're in first place and there's a team really on your heels and you'll do that also just to try to make sure that they're also not going to be on your, on your heels. So that's really why doing it in the middle of the team or doing it out of spite, you don't really see that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess the reason why they took that out and replaced it with the, um, what did you say it was called? The U-turn? The U-turn. Um, I guess that's just more interesting like to capture on cameras the team's struggling through both tasks instead of just standing there for an hour being frustrated and bored. Right. Um, so most of the teams cross over into uh, Argentina at this point, um, but we get some shots that uh, the sun is rising. It's 6.49 a.m. And like we talked about, Susan and Patrick are still trying to get out of Santiago. And then Debbie and Bianca realize that they haven't hit the Argentina border yet, and they start to get a little bit concerned. But they keep driving straight. <laughs> they like At this point, they don't really stop and orient themselves um which is i don't know my girls i just wish they didn't do so poorly this uh this leg so it's the morning and i would assume that and this once again is me being a map geek but what you're doing is you're trying to go to argentina which is to the east Mm -hmm. if you're going to do that you're going to follow the sun which is going to be rising to the east and at the sun's the sunrise over that port that area in portillo where they uh through the Andes Mountains was just absolutely beautiful with the sun just starting to come up at that point. Um, but, you know, you would just kind of assume that that would be the way that they would drive. Um, so I took a look at their route. Well, in terms of what they did there, and they said, hey, we can see the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they saw the Pacific Ocean. So they saw the wrong ocean when they were going in that direction because they just went straight north. And straight north, I guess, veers a little bit to the west. So they were, you know, they really should be going towards the Atlantic Ocean rather than the Pacific. So they were way off course. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, yeah, they got all the way to the Pacific Ocean before they realized that they should um, check and see where they were. So that was pretty sad. So they were like two hours out of, I think they were two hours away from Santiago. And then the, um, the next clue was more or less two hours away from that. So I don't know if they were like four hours out of course. It was kind of unclear exactly how, how long they had to drive to catch back up. Right. Um, so Rob and Amber get to the first route marker, and it's on a bridge. Um, they run up to the clue, and so we get, you know, our explanation. Phil comes every single time, which I appreciated because I didn't know what was happening in this season. But then at the, like, very last episode, I was like, all right, we get it. We know what a detour is. Um, and explains, you know, they um, they have to pick one of two options. So they decide it's going to be paddle or pedal. So they're either going to have to do a whitewater rafting course seven miles down a river or um, get on bikes and ride uh, down seven miles down some train tracks, which I hope are abandoned train tracks. Well, according to Google Maps, now they are. Okay, the good. Track kind of like, you know, loses itself like every, every so often. Uh, and now it looks like the river is more like a river bed. I'm not sure how, you know, at least in the Google Maps picture from like 2015, 
Um, not sure how much water is flowing down the uh, Mendoza River, but um, who knows? Maybe it just happened to be a, a dry time that they took the picture there. But uh, yeah, it's it was just basically an area in the middle of nowhere that is there for whitewater rafting and for bike riding, I guess. So of the two, what would you pick if you had to choose one of these? I would choose whitewater rafting. Um, I... I can ride a bike, but not so well. Learned how to ride a bike at age 39. That in itself is like a longer story there. But uh, so I, I do ride now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whitewater rafting is one of those things where if you're trying to make sure you're not expending energy, even though you're going downhill on a bike, um, I would just say, you know, you're, you're whitewater rafting. You also have somebody in there with you, a professional. Yeah, they had like three professional rowers. So I thought that that was interesting. That I mean, obviously, if it were just the two of them, it would be almost impossible to control the rafts. But just the fact that they get those experts, I was surprised that um, I think it was just the brothers, but I was surprised that anyone chose the biking option because I thought, you know, the rafting just seemed so much quicker. Right. And I think that they were saying that, you know, maybe the physical strength would be able to do it. So I'm assuming that means that you probably would also choose the, right, the rafting. Oh yeah, I would choose the rafting. And I hate whitewater rafting, but I would still do it if I were in a race for a million dollars. There's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> um, so Rob and Amber choose whitewater rafting as well. And then Lynn and Alex also pull up. Um, so they're all going to do the rafting. Um, on the road, the brothers overtake Meredith and Gretchen, and then the, uh, they find the route marker. And like I mentioned, they decide to bike um, while Gretchen and Meredith pull up and take the river. Um, on the river, Lynn and Alex overtake Robin Amber. So that was kind of exciting because at that point I was still like solidly team Lynn and Alex and, you know, very anti-Robin Amber. <laughs> uh, towards the end of the season, I got like, a, I just kind of, I respected them too much. So I was, you know, but, right, but they really had it out for Robin Amber right from the beginning. Yeah. So they all get the clues. Um, they have to drive 70 miles to the city of Mendoza to a traditional Argentine barbecue taking place at Camping Suiza. I thought that was interesting that it's like Camping Suiza. I noticed that too. And I have that written down. I'm not sure why they call it that, but. Uh, did you try to know. Google this and find it on Google Maps as well? Because I did. <laughs> Um, I did, and I just happened to see the, the name of it, and just in terms of how to get there, but that was pretty much it. Um, before, I, before I left my, my job, this is like the WorldCom job that turned into a Verizon job, uh, we actually had one of our clients was in Mendoza, um, so I was able to see that on a map beforehand. So for me, it was just kind of cool to see Mendoza, Argentina, because nobody really knows what Mendoza is, but they know Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So being able to kind of like see that on a map was interesting to me because because I have a life (laughs) all right so then Ron and Kelly make it to the clue um they're gonna raft Ray and Dina Uchina and Joyce they all arrive um so they're all rafting Patrick and Susan they're on finally the long windy road up the mountain but obviously a good bit behind the rest of the team and then all this is the point we kind of jumped ahead but this is the point where Debbie and Bianca realize that they see the ocean and they um Again, there is a little moment here that just like the story editors did so well. So they head off in the right direction and Debbie says, all right, it's time to start praying for flat tires. And then in the (laughs) next scene, we have the brothers biking down the railroad tracks and what do they get but a flat tire? So not what they they meant though. They really (laughs) was a vehicle flat tire, but not this. But it was very like just serendipitous that she would make that comment and then it would happen that the boys did get a flat tire on their bike. Right. Um, 
editing. <laughs> so uh, they, they reinflate uh, or they try to reinflate the tire, but like as they're working, they see like three different teams, I think, pass them on the river below. <laughs> so they just decide that they're going to carry the bikes the rest of the way, which I wonder how long they had to carry the bikes for because it was a seven mile course. And I think they said that they were right around like halfway point when they like got the flat tire. So yeah, that's pretty much of a distance there. So Especially carrying a bike. True. Although it's going downhill, which I think helps out so they can try to push it a little bit, but True. still, yeah, they, they did not choose the right option. Mm -hmm. um, so the teams who had been on the river, they all get their clues and they head in. Um, and then Uchin and Joyce, as they drive away, I just noticed it was really cute that he uh, tells her that she was like one hot chick quite rafting on the river. And she's like, you can see like their bond kind of strengthening as the, as the season progresses. And it's like really sweet. Absolutely. Um, the brothers make it to their uh, the end to the clue. They also use the R word here. It's just like counting out all the instances of like inappropriateness. Yep. Um, and then Susan and Patrick finally make it to the clue and they also decide to raft. So now we get to the, the crux of the episode. The Lynn and Alex, they make it to Camping Suiza. They get their, their challenge, which is a roadblock. So a roadblock is one where I guess only one person can do it. So it took me a couple of episodes to kind of catch on. So I guess what happens is there's a little hint and then they have to decide from the hint who's going to take the roadblock. And then only after they've decided, they get to read what it's actually going to be. Now, also, you can only not, you know, you can't have just one person doing all the roadblocks. So <laughs> I think everybody has to do at least six. So that was interesting because it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, not at least not in this season, it wasn't very clearly called out. Like, each person can only do six, so you have to be strategic about who does what because you don't know what's coming next. And once I caught on to that, some of the choices that people had made, like Dina taking this roadblock, for example, made more sense. Right. Um, so the challenge is that they have to eat a traditional Argentine meal consisting of cow rib, pork sausage, blood sausage. So at that point, because I was like, ooh, cow rib, ooh, pork sausage, and then they said blood sausage, and I was just like, ugh. Um, and then it only gets worse from there. Uh, cow intestine, cow udder, a kidney, part of a saliva gland. And all in all, it is four pounds of meat. And only after they finish eating all four pounds of meat do they get their next clue. So we, once again, as a, you know, as a couple, um, we would always play who would do which one from the clue specifically. Mm -hmm. Who's not a vegetarian was the, the clue. And at, in 2005, I was a vegetarian and my wife was not. So yeah, that was one which I remember when we were talking about that. I was like, okay, this is yours. And then she then saw what it was and she just was really not happy. <laughs> I mean, she's probably happier than she would have been like if she was actually on the race and had to do this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, still thinking about it was, was a pretty nasty type of thing. Yeah, that it was rough. Um, so Alex takes it and he starts eating and, you know, Lynn and Alex, they seem pretty optimistic. Um, Rob and Amber pull up, and then Rob starts uh, taking the challenge. Um, we get a quick shot over to Susan and Patrick, just seeing that they made it down the river and they're heading into Mendoza. And then Debbie and Bianca finally have made it to the first clue, um, and they are choosing to go whitewater rafting. And then it turns out that uh, Debbie, only a few months prior to that, which was a little bit shocking that it was only months before that, almost had like a near-death experience while she was whitewater rafting. 
Um, but the, even though like she literally almost just died like several months ago in this same exact situation, she like suits up and gets in the raft with no problem. So it makes me wonder if maybe this was something that she used to do. And like, you know, this was kind of like if you're a race car driver and like you might have had a near death accident, but you're going to keep on doing it because that's just what you do. And that's what you Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too. I mean, she does say that she wants to face her fear and get back in the water. And I guess like the, you know, the pressure of being in this situation is no better time to do it. Um, but that was definitely interesting that she, it was so recently before that, that she had had that experience and not, I could imagine if it'd been like, oh, five years ago or something. Um, but the fact that it was only a few months prior to that, it's also like, I wonder what all of these people were doing in the months prior to filming, because I know that they had to go through several rounds of casting and psychological testing and physical testing and all these other things that it takes to get on a reality TV show. Right. Um, uh, no, go ahead. Okay. I was just going on to kind of the next scene. Yeah, um, go, ahead, go for it. So in Mendoza, um, Ron and Kelly, they have to uh, go into a store to get directions. Um, and then the brothers say all four teams that were together. So it had been those two, Ocean and Joyce, Gretchen and Meredith and Ron and Kelly, um, they all kind of got into the city at one time, and they then kind of split up from there to find the way in, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and then Uchina, um kind of calls out his car window to another car trying to find the camp, and uh, it's the the Robin Amber tactic. She just decides to lead him directly there, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I noticed that, and I, th- I was like, good for them that they were able to to do that. Yeah, yeah, because they don't get too much of that um, this this season, not like Rob and Amber do. Um, especially when Rob and Amber are, like, actually recognized from being on Survivor and people want to help them is really interesting. Right, and in fact, um, part of what they did there, apparently they were, like, on magazine covers at that point because they were very hot. This was something very recent that they were on, that they were the, the two finalists on an all-star season of Survivor, so people really knew who they were. But going back to Chenna and Joyce, though, they got the opposite treatment when they went when the the season ends in Miami and they they have to beg for money at that point to be able to pay their cabbie, and they had somebody just being really rude saying you know well you know you should really get a job I mean like it it was just a very different type of experience for them being back in the states, um, and then just seeing most likely you know very racially motivated there wanting to help out. Oh my God, that final, just where they were begging the cab, just for the cab driver, I was like dying because I was like, just run in and tell him that you're going to win a million dollars and you'll get him and you'll get him later. Um, yeah, that was nerve wracking. And that's actually kind of funny because I did find in my, um, my uh, research that they actually won by a good 45 minutes. So right. it wasn't really coming down to the wire like it was edited to be, but I was like super caught up in the moment. And actually my husband came in and started talking to me and I like turned to him and snapped at him because I was like, this is the climax, climax. Like <laughs> you have to go. Um, and then I had to apologize. Right. Uh, so yeah, they, they head in. Um, and then back at camp, we see Alex and Rob and they are really struggling. <laughs> Amber's like, is it good or is it yucky? And Rob's just like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Um, not happy. It's awful. So then Brian, uh, I think Brian and Greg. Okay. I was like confused. Cause I said Greg and Meredith and Gretchen. Um, so they, those four arrive at the same time and then the brothers are just like four pounds of meat. That's nothing. So they just like dig in. Um, Ron also gets there and then Rob is starting to realize that this might be an impossible task for him. So I guess this is kind of when the, um, the, 
plot starts to form in his mind of what he's going to do because he's starting to realize that there's no way he can get through this. Well, Alex, right at that point, I've got over here, Rob says, I'm never going to eat it all. And then Greg says, when I make brains at home, it's so tender and juicy. And Rob is not happy with that. <laughs> Afterwards, you see Alex vomiting. Mm-hmm. That Rob is like, I'm, this is just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting what happened here. I guess it was a little bit unprecedented, like this moment in The Amazing Race. What did you think? Um, do you want to kind of describe what he decided to do and just like your thoughts uh, when you sure. saw him take this tactic? Sure. There is small print on each of those clues that they, they get in their sealed envelopes. And it has to do with if you can't finish a task in a certain amount of time, there is a penalty that will, you know, that, that you'll incur. And you have to, you know, usually it's going to be a time penalty of some sort. In this case, Rob then finally read the, the fine print. In the past six seasons, nobody had done that because everybody just was, went ahead and they you know, finished it up. Rob said, I can't finish. So he took a look and he said, when you quit a task in The Amazing Race, you have one choice. That's to take a four-hour penalty from the time the next team arrives at the task. So he read through this and he decided he was going to go that route of taking the penalty instead of finishing it up. And that's where things start getting interesting when he decides to do that. Yeah, so he officially quits. He decides he's going to take his penalty. And then basically, as soon as he quits almost, or at least it's edited this way, um, Ray and Dina showed up. So his his time starts then, like their four-hour clock starts. Um, so Dina, as we mentioned earlier, she ends up taking the roadblock. She gets her platter and like looks down at it. And she's immediately just like, no way. It's just not going to happen. Well, actually, what I have here is Rob said to Deanna, you're not going to be able to finish this. Mm-hmm. And he just said it like that. You're not going to be able to do this. And then from there, she agreed with that. So he, I, that was clever. I, I hate him for it. <laughs> he used that language of, you're not going to be able to do this. And she agreed with that. And then they said, you know, at that point, okay, we're going to take the penalty too. And he said, as soon as I hooked Ray and Deanna, I was guaranteed not to be eliminated, which is so true because they would specifically be behind him. Mm-hmm that place before they would and he knew that that was a guarantee yeah and I mean I guess the risk that he's taking there is just that he doesn't know when the next team is going to show up and if it's you know within a couple of seconds they don't have that much time spaced out between their penalty clocks but at least it was edited I mean and you could tell from the clock countdown I think it was like an hour and a half between the next team showing up so Robin Amber ended up having like a pretty sweet um like lead on Ray and Dina Uh, And so then Ron is um, still going and he's really suffering and he mentions that this is the worst eating experience he's ever gone through in his entire life, including him being a POW in an Iraqi prison and that this isn't necessarily worse than the Iraqi prison food, but he didn't have to eat four pounds of it at one time. Well, he got out of his commitment to the army because he was a Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's uh, too soon. She's also... She's from my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. And as I like was reading that and discovered that, I was just like, no, girl, no. This that is later on in the season where she, um, they're talking about commitments. And he says, like, you know, because he, he's afraid of commitment, she said. And he's like, I was committed to the U.S. Army. It's like, well, you got out of that. You were a POW. <laughs> and so I showed that to my son also. I was like, this is before Trump was a political thing who then was criticizing McCain for being a POW. Um, but yeah, that was just amazing that they, that was like, you, you could kind of tell that everything was going to end at that point too. Yeah. I mean, that was like, but yeah, they were just nonstop fighting at that point in the season that and her saying that was like, ah, very shocking. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and Kelly is just standing there fanning him and she's just like, well, I really owe you one. <laughs> um, everyone is all really looking rough. Um, Alex is still going. Uh, Meredith, uh, Chinna's powering through. Um, Ray and Dina are telling Gretchen that they need to make Meredith quit just because he, there's no way that he's going to be able to do it. Um, so Meredith quits at that point too. So it's interesting that Ray and Dina and Meredith and Gretchen are all in the same penalty time. So whenever the next team comes, they'll all like have their penalty start at four. Um, it's funny because like Ray and Dina, or at least Ray had this like one-sided rivalry with Meredith and Gretchen the entire season that they weren't aware of. Yeah. And he was, like, saying, well, okay, well, we know that we can beat them in a foot race if it comes down to it. And he's just, like, his whole goal was to beat this, like, 70-year-old couple. And they were just, like, we just want to get as far as we can in the race and have a good time. Right. Ray had kind of issues on this one. And, you know, nothing was going to stop him from, like, you know, being, not not winning, but for beating people. Yeah. Ray had a lot of issues in general, I think. Right. Um, so, Uchina, like, powers through and, like, finishes it's amazing how he finishes and he like roars when he's done so Um, i have over here uh, oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no go ahead that was it right so i have at that point somebody saying do you want a mint oh yeah that made me crack up because it reminded me of monty python meaning of life Have, have you seen that not the meaning of life no um, there's a scene where there's this very, very large, like comically large man who's eating this huge dinner. Um, and, you know, basically he's absolutely stuffed. And then the waiter says, would you like a mint? It's wafer thin. And he has this one mint. And then from there, he just explodes. Like, that's the one thing that like pushes him over. Um, I don't know, kind of a weird <laughs> scene, but just like, it just reminded me of that at that point. Yeah, so that was actually, that was when they were in the car and Joyce offered him a mitt, um, but I did notice, I was just like, I felt so bad because he had to drive immediately after eating all of that, and I know right. that if that had been me, I would be like, no fucking way, you're driving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then next up, Alex, I was so surprised that Alex managed to finish because he looks like he was about to die the entire time. He was able to get through it. I mean, he threw up a couple times, it looks like, but he absolutely got through it. Um, so Lynn and Alex are off as well. So it's kind of a race between them and Uchenna and Joyce to see who's going to get first place. Um, they stop to get directions and they find another person to follow, but it turns out that that person kind of leads them to the wrong place, I guess. It's a little bit unclear. They just kind of walk up to this building. They're like, this isn't it. And they have to like go back to their car and drive somewhere else. So because of that, so because of that, that, at the mat, you, you get Phil there, and? Up comes Lynn and Alex, so they win. They're the first team to arrive. One thing which I put over here, too, is the shirt that Phil is wearing is the same shirt from the beginning of the pit stop in, um, in Santiago. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't usually pay attention to it, but since then, I, I took a look at it at all the other episodes, too. So uh, either he has a lot of the same shirts, and they use them each and every time, or... In terms of what his schedule is, he is there right right at the end of it because it seems to be around the same time of night that he was uh, there mm-hmm. yeah, to be able to go to whatever spaces he needs to go to. And then from there, he then basically he gets jets over to like the next location and then from there is able to be at the pit stop. So um, good on him for like recycling clothes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, they, Lynn and Alex jump on the mat. Um, they're happy to have beaten Amber and Rob. They don't win like an extra prize in this leg, do they? No, they don't. And in fact, I think the leg, the first leg and the first leg, there was a, there wasn't anything, but the second leg, I think they won money. Yes. Debbie and Bianca won $10,000 each. Right. And then after that, people start winning vacations into mm -hmm. people winning cars. And, you know, basically they were just kind of, you know, this, this was not good for them. They were left out of the prizes for being number one. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit unfair, but they did beat Amber and Rob, so they were happy about that. Yep. Um, and then Uchenna and Joyce come running up. They're number two. They, you can tell that they're a little bit disappointed that they didn't make it since they got lost, but they're still happy that they, like, you know, made it as far as they did. Um, we see Susan and Patrick in a car, and at this point, Susan's eating, like, a candy bar or jerky or something. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, and she's talking about how, uh, like, she's like, this is my lunch and dinner. And Patrick's just saying like, okay, well, we'll find some sheep meal in Mendoza. And it's just like, again, just excellent foreshadowing and hats off to the story editors. Yep. Little do they know that's what's awaiting them. Um, so at the camp, Greg finishes all of his meat and uh, Ron is right on his heels. Um, and Susan and Patrick kind of pass them as they're heading out. Um, Patrick ends up taking the roadblock, and at that point, since they arrived, the penalty start. The penalty time starts for Ray and Dina and Gretchen and Meredith. And then at that point as well, uh, Debbie and Bianca finish up on the river, and they're heading into Mendoza. So all of the teams are gonna at least be at the camp. Mm -hmm. And at that point, with that four hour start, see yeah, that's what you were mentioning is that uh, Rob and Amber were at two thirty. Nine, two hours 39 minutes until their, their penalty was up so they definitely had a lot of time that they could make up for this mm -hmm. um so at the pit stop ron and kelly and the brothers they all step onto the mat together um i thought that was kind of interesting that they were allowed to and they all did there's but... really no reason right there's no reason not to in that case because you don't really get anything for being three versus four mm -hmm. but phil still said like your team's three and four which is kind of funny it's like who who is who <laughs> Right, but I, I don't think it really matters that much. And I mean, we do see in, in later seasons uh, where you have teams that will do that. Uh, the first team and the last team, that's really where you have problems, um, where you really want to be either the first or the not last. Mm -hmm. The other ones, if they happen to be there, the, and Phil will also say, it's like, you know, here's a team, then, hey, you guys, you know, wave over to them uh, for them to come on in and mm -hmm. then announce them at the same time if it's like a big group of people coming through. Interesting. Um, so yeah, they they all arrive and then back at the camp, Patrick is, you know, basically starting to be concerned that he's never going to be able to finish all of his meat and him and his mother start to get into it. Um, so what did you think about this argument? Because I kind of went back and forth on how I felt on one hand, I understood where Susan was coming from because Patrick was being very kind of whiny and negative. Um, and she was a lot more like, I felt like she was just more determined in general to do what it would take to win the race. But on the other hand, I would be totally annoyed if I like had this like impossible task in front of me and I had someone just telling me to like, just eat it and then puke and then eat some more. It's easy. You can do it. Right. So I think that the mom, Susan seemed to be very micromanaging and I, I was a little bit sympathetic to Patrick at that point. Two things kind of changed that. Number one is Patrick saying, the more you're doing this, the more I want to not do it just to spite you. Mm-hmm that on the race like that's perfect that's perfectly normal passive aggressiveness against one's mother that you can have like in, in regular life um but you, you can't do that on a race where it's just like you're, you're gonna fight each other 
when it comes down to this. Uh, did you read anything about what was edited out regarding Patrick? I don't know. I didn't see anything in particular. Apparently, Patrick had also decided to quit. Oh, yes, yes. Now I remember what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So he decided to quit, and they were waiting for the timer to start, and the timer would have to start when the next group would come in, the next group being, um, what are their names, Bianca and Debbie. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, right. So um, eventually, though, he decided to just say, wait, I'm just going to pick back up and, and start eating again. Uh, but they didn't show it that way. They showed it as just, you know, he was still there, and he was hemming and hawing about it, um, trying to get everything finished. But you could just tell they were just really, you know, he was not having any of it. Um, and he took it out on his mom. And I, I really did not have much sympathy for him at that point, just because I think that he was just, he, he was not worried about the race. He was worried about bas- about being right to his partner. And yeah. that's not going to win you anything. Yeah. Um, so at that point, Rob and Amber have only 20 minutes left on their clock, and they are just feeling themselves. They are feeling so good about what they did and how they pulled it off and how slick everything was. Um, so yeah, they're in a great spot. Um, Patrick is, it's as it's edited, he's contemplating quitting, and then it just kind of, um, he, he's saying how he's sure that Debbie and Bianca won't be able to finish it. And then Debbie and Bianca show up. And I love this because they like get the challenge and they get the roadblock and they read the description. They're like, four pounds. Yeah. And they're just like stoked about it. Yeah. And then they see it and it's like, whoa. <laughs> Rob then says, you know, Rob says she will eat it if she knows she might not get eliminated. And it's like, that chick's tough. Mm-hmm. And she, that she had the balls to call him out. Yep. So. Um, and I didn't notice this specifically, but according to the research I did, this was like the only time he complimented another team in the entire race. And it's the team that he was at odds with the entire time, too. Game recognized game. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Debbie just like unbuttons her pants and like dives in um, and she's, you know, going for it. Uh, so Robin Amber's penalty clock runs out and they head off and make it to the pit stop, but they're in fifth place. And, you know, they have plenty of time between whenever the next team's going to make it there. Um, and Phil kind of almost, I guess, congratulates them on what they accomplished. It was almost like, great job, but a little bit against the spirit of the game. I don't know. What did you think of his reaction? Well, he, was, he had not seen anything like it. And keep in mind that you did have, for the first couple seasons, you did have, like, the, the big baddie teams that people didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always just, you know, everything just really being in good, you know, in good spirit and people being proud of each other and people helping each other out, um, which I thought was really great. And you do see that like later on the season, you see that uh, Uchenna actually was helping out uh, Gretchen and Meredith, like, yeah. you know, their activity for them. So you do find that a lot. Um, well, you do find that when you have people stopping when a car flips over. Mm-hmm you know, saying, are you okay? And just stopping and doing stuff like that. People are really showing their humanity there. Even when the other teams um, in the non-elimination legs and they lose all of their money, uh, how the other teams will kind of donate to them. And especially at the end, um, when Ron and Kelly lost all of their money, it seemed like, it looked like the bill that Meredith gave them was a $100 bill. Yeah, I mean, they really, they look, they're spending a lot of time in very close quarters with them. The other thing about this season, by the way, that I had not seen in the other seasons is usually you're staying in a lodge or something like that uh, for your rest period. And it's just like a real, um, you know, there's, there's a roof over your head. This was the first time that I saw them 
stay in a place where they were pretty much in the middle of the desert. I think this was Botswana. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just in the middle of nothing. And there were just twins set up for everybody. Yeah. And, I, you know, you just don't see that usually. On, usually it's at least going to be some kind of like a three or four star hotel. I really have to wonder what the security situation was for that overnight as well. Because um, that was like, I'm pretty sure that was the drive when they had all, or maybe it was before. But that was, in Botswana was where they saw all the wildlife. So right. we know that there are like lions and shit out there. Yeah, but you can probably hear them coming, I guess. I guess so. But if you're just alone on your cot, what are you going to do if the lion then, shows then up? Then you're pretty much dinner for like any lions who are there, right? So um, I can see that. But yeah, I, I think that that's the thing is that Phil, you know, he saw this and I think he was expecting that something would happen with this team coming from Survivor. But Rob was just very, you know, smarmy and with a smirk saying, I made this, I, I took the Survivor skills and I brought them into the game. So mm-hmm. Phil was not so comfortable with that. But over the next um, 20-some seasons, you see that that seems to kind of seep in a little bit more. Yeah, it made things interesting, at least. Um, So back at the camp, it's down to Patrick and Debbie uh, eating the meat, and Patrick is suffering, but he seems pretty determined. Like, you know, if he has to do it, it, he's going to do it. Um, Meanwhile, like, Debbie and Bianca are just in super good spirits, and, like, Bianca is cheering her on, and they're just, like, eating the meat as if it's, it's, like, they're just taking shots. Um, it's just kind of funny just seeing the juxtaposition of the two, especially when like Patrick pukes and Debbie has to like clamp her hands over her ears and distract herself so she doesn't hear it and get sick. Tell me when he's done. Tell me when he's done. Yeah. Shots thing I thought was great. They were just like making these shots. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even, even when she was just like, Ooh, that's a hell of an aftertaste, but she's still like upbeat about it. Yep. Um, so at that point, the penalty clock runs out for Ray and Dina and Gretchen and Meredith, so they all get their clues and head out to the pit stop. Um, Ray and Dina arrive first, and they're in sixth place. Gretchen and Meredith have to stop and ask for directions, as they nearly always have to do because they're constantly getting lost, um, and they arrive as Team 7. Um, so it's down to Debbie and Patrick, and Debbie basically catches up with him. So I'm, I don't know, it's... I wonder how long, like, how much time did Patrick spend arguing with his mom and deciding to quit and then coming back to it? Because he wasted so much time. Well, it was dark out when they were driving, or it mm-hmm. was out at that point. So it wasn't exactly dark. So it's hard to say in terms of how it was cut together. But it was, it was a while. I mean, everybody else got there when it was laid out before those two got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Debbie basically catches up with him. Patrick finishes right before her and him and Susan get their clue and head out. Um, and Susan was like, well, if you, if you'd known that you could do that hours ago, like we would have been done by now. And he was like, well, I couldn't do it until I had to do it. Um, so Debbie finishes, like she's the only woman to actually eat all four pounds of the meat. She's one of the only contestants since so many of them sat it out. Um, and it's like down to a race to see who's going to make it there first. Um, and again, the shots are cutting back and forth, so the editors are keeping the tension up, but I kind of wonder how long it was in between um, Patrick and Susan arriving and Debbie and Bianca arriving. Um, but yeah, Patrick and Susan jump on the map first, so they're the, la- uh, they're the ones in the race, and Debbie and Bianca come running up, but they're the last to arrive, so unfortunately they will be eliminated here. Um, also, Bianca points out that Debbie just ate four pounds of meat and then ran, um, and she's just, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I can't even imagine doing that. Like, that's- I was like, how dare you make me eat four pounds of meat and then drive, let alone run? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, they're, they're disappointed, but they also got $10,000 each. So they're in pretty good shape, I think. They, yeah, I'm, they're, they're, I mean, and that's the other thing too, is that afterwards, it's not like they're going home. They're going to some kind of rich, you know, fancy hotel, waiting it out uh, so that they can be at the finish line in Miami. Mm-hmm. So they're still, you know, this is still a vacation for them. And they still have their friendship and it ends on that note. Yep. Aw. And then looking at each other in slow motion. By the way, that's the other thing which I, we didn't really talk about. The theme music. First of all, the theme music is great. Mm-hmm. This very, the don't, 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 don't. Except when you also see these two, you know, it's usually just this shot of like, you know, them, the, the two people doing something active and then having that look of just like, you know, they're looking at each other and they suddenly turn towards the camera. Mm-hmm. One of the things with them too is just like also kind of mirrored and bookended there too because it just has this, shot of them at the end of the race just like looking at each other and you know they have been friends when they were since they were six so they they still come away with that which not all the other teams do Mm -hmm. all right so let's go into the where are they now um so i looked up the teams and tried to get what i could for people that had information out there but i couldn't find everything for everyone i also didn't look up bill simply because i forgot to (laughs) so if you know what bill's up to other than still hosting the amazing race so Phil is actually, this is interesting. Phil went on a diving expedition, I think in 2006 or 2007, had a panic attack and almost died. Oh my God. And he decided at that point that he was going to make a bucket list. And he made a bucket list of all these different things. And he started a TV show, which was on some network, which was all about the bucket list. And basically it's about bucket list types of things that people will do. And then I think that it, it became something with Oprah also. So he did some stuff with that with a different TV show. Um, he has also since done a lot of Amazing Race stuff. He has his own energy bar now. Um, just he's, he's really just taken this and really made this thing his, you know, his own. I think he's living now in both New Zealand and LA. That's the dream. He has a daughter and uh, things are going pretty well for him. Uh, and he's hosting this season. He's hosting season 31. So and he, he never ages, which I think is absolutely, you know, scary. And I'm so jealous, but it's just, he looks exactly the same from season one to season 31. Yeah. So, well, thank you for that. Cause I didn't look that up, but good for you, Phil. <laughs> um, so Uchenna and Joyce, they came back and competed on the all-star season of Amazing Race. What did you think? I, I looked things up that happened in the all-star season, but I'm sure you watched it since you're an avid fan. Um, what were your thoughts on their all-star run? If they were, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of like a reunion show type of thing. So people knew who they were. They knew that they had a target on their back because they had won. Um, and they just basically, they were the same people there. They, I think that they were really just happy to be there. And I think they got out after maybe four legs or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, she did not have to shave her head again, which I think was kind of a nice thing. Uh, did he, uh, but you know, still bald. So that didn't really mean all that much anyway. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, they, they really were, you know, happy to be part of this family again, I think is probably what it was. Um, they did get divorced, uh, mm-hmm. but are still on good terms and they're still good friends. Uh, both of them have gone through some acting uh, career stuff in LA as well. Uh, before the race, actually, um, Joyce, I think, was on Star Trek, one of the Star Treks. The Next Generation, I think. Right. And then um, Uchenna also had some uh, roles as well. Um, 
and you find that, you know, that a lot of them will just, you know, this will be their stepping stone out to Hollywood, as you'll find with some of the other uh, folks also on this season. And I also saw that, um, I was just like in one article, but it said Joyce was writing a book about her experiences, but I couldn't really find any information after that. So I don't know really what happened with that. And that was in 2014 that she was writing her book. So who knows kind of what came of that. I hope so. I would love to read that. I know. Um, Robin Amber got married in 2005, um, and they had a two-hour CBS special called Robin Amber Getting Married. Um, Rob also had a uh, his own reality show about him trying to become a professional poker player. Um, he went on to do Heroes and Villains Survivor and Redemption Island Survivor, and I think he won Redemption Island. Or he won I one think of those. So. Um, right. They both did and a movie had- race All-Stars as well. Yep. Um, and they have four kids. Yeah. Like, they're really doing well. And as much as I really just can't stand them, okay, fine, I'm jealous. Um, they really, I mean, they, they play these games. They play reality TV so incredibly well. And I think that, you know, that's, that's their career. And they can really, you know, that, that's what they're known for. Mm-hmm. So them. And I think it's kind of interesting how, like, shady and devious they are when they play uh, the game on reality TV, but they seem to like be very like genuine and authentic people within their relationship and they have like an amazing relationship and they're still together to this day. Yeah, I'm, it's wonderful. Good for them. Um, Ron and Kelly obviously broke up after the show. They pretty much broke up during the show. Um, Kelly went on to marry a pastor from Greenville um, and she apparently uh, was kind of inspired by her experience in India it's inspired to never go back to India, but then she ended up going back and kind of fell in love with the idea of adopting from India. So she's adopted a daughter from India and wrote a book about her experience with that. Um, and Ron kind of just does stuff as like a motivational speaker. I couldn't find anything on Gretchen and Meredith, unfortunately. I hope they're doing well. I didn't so, find any obituaries. No, they're they're still, uh, from what I see, they're still alive. Um, right. <laughs> find... Um, Gretchen's Facebook page. Oh, and, nice. Uh, they have their kids and their grandchildren there, and they have, you know, Meredith is on there too. She has a picture of Meredith, I think from 2016, uh, winning a golf t- tournament of some sort. Oh, great. It just, they seem to like really, it looks like everything is fine. Um, I also took a look at the political stuff that she had on the page too, and I couldn't really tell um, exactly where things stood on it, but she seems to, she seems to really love her country. <laughs> She seems to love, like, you know, treating animals well. So I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> All right. Or after, absolutely. Aw. Um, Lynn and Alex, they got married in Canada in 2005. Couldn't really find anything else other than that. But good for them. They also got married in 2005. Um, yep. And from what I've got over here, they're still married. What was the other thing about them? Let me go back over here. There's something else about them specifically. Um. It's Alex. Well, Alex has a company of some sort. Let's see. Alex is currently CEO of the Society Group, a public relations firm that's based in Los Angeles. So, um, Awesome. You go, Alex. But yeah, the, the PR thing, and you're going to find that with a couple other people here too, is that it's about PR and um, Hollywood. So good for them for being able to do that. And then Brian and Greg, um, I couldn't find much about Greg, but Brian went on to be an actor, which is interesting because that's why I thought he looked familiar. He was, um, he had a reoccurring role as Penny's boyfriend on The Big Bang Theory. Yep. And then he which did- I don't all- watch, but I saw like the picture of him like as that. I was like, hey, well, how about that? You know, I was 
I was watching The Big Bang Theory as it was airing, so I saw him in that, but then I never saw him in The Amazing Race because I didn't watch that until now, so that's kind of funny. Um, he also did commercials and had, like, smaller roles and things, but it looks like he hasn't really done uh, acting work since 2012, so I'm not sure what he's up to right now. Well, probably trying to be an actor, I would <laughs> Probably, I don't know. Or writing a memoir, you know, it could be one of the two. Hopefully it works out for him, one thing or another. Um, Ray and Dina, the only thing that I found on them was that apparently they did get engaged after the they, race. They got engaged and they got married. Oh, they got married. Uh-oh. They got married and then they got divorced. And that's not surprising. Thank goodness for that. I know. Get um, out of there, Dina. Right. So, um, Dina, I think is, let's see, Dina works for CBS at this point. Um, let's see, Ray and Dina got engaged in the race, subsequently got married uh, with Rob and Amber in attendance. They later gave birth to a daughter named Regan. As of 2010, they're no longer together. Ray is currently engaged to a woman named Mandy. Okay. <laughs> Works the casting producer at CBS. So she does casting, I think, now for reality shows. So that seems to be kind of up her alley, though. Um, I, I hope they're both doing well. I think that it's probably a good thing that they're not together. Mm -hmm. That Ray is finding a little bit more peace in his relationships with this woman named Mandy and um, is a little bit less a little bit more equitable within the relationship itself because on the trip it was just you said it best yikes yeah yeah um did you find anything on susan or patrick i couldn't really find anything on them so here's what i found out about susan and patrick patrick apparently was 30 credits short of graduating and dropped out of school and susan was not was not happy about that was this uh, prior to them going on the race this is actually afterwards i think let's see okay. patrick's dislike to okay let's see Oh, the only thing which I really have here, let's see, that may have been uh, beforehand also, I guess. Patrick's dislike uh, towards Robin Amber continued, which resulted in a very disparaging letter sent to them in leg four on All-Stars. So I, I don't remember that All-Stars, but apparently there, he, he was there as part of it for leg four, and he sent a disparaging letter. So I, I guess he still would not let that go. Uh, <laughs> to look into that a little bit more because now I'm kind of, uh, I just find that that's kind of interesting here. Um, I really couldn't find as much else about them, um, but I do have this thing that says that, yeah, here we go. Patrick says he's extremely close to his family. Um, his mother disagreed with his decision to drop out of college, uh, Miami University. It's 30 credits shy of his degree. Patrick describes himself as Machiavellian and strategic. So that could very well be what happened beforehand. Um, so I don't know what's happened since then. Maybe that played into the tension that was happening while they were together. That on the could be, yeah. Um, and then we'll just go over Bianca and Debbie. We don't need to touch on the other two that we didn't see this episode, really. Um, but I found that Debbie wrote a novel that was semi-based on her experience. I think it was called, like, The Summer We Came to Life or something like that. Um, I didn't really look too much into that, but that's kind of cool. And that's Sorry all about that. I've got something new going on here. Ah. Uh, there we go. My apologies. Oh, you're fine. There we go. Okay. So based on her career as a professional travel photographer, um, they were the first female team to win the first leg of the race. And they were the first all-female team to be awarded a prize for winning a leg also. Um, so, I mean, that's, they, they still were, they still have some props to them for what they've done there. Yeah. Their goal was to be the first female team to win, but at least they broke some ground for it. Right. And there have been female teams that have won since then. So it's, it's kind of been a nice thing to be able to see that. So they were kind of early on, but they, they got there. So. All right. Good for them. Yeah.
my girls. <laughs> um, all right. So I always like to kind of ask myself, is this worth watching? And like, does it hold up in 2019? Um, I would say it's definitely worth watching. I really liked it. So thank you so much for suggesting it. Like I mentioned, like, I was like, maybe this is designed to be watched week by week because I was binging it and truly like I was having like adrenaline responses to everything that was going on. And I found myself kind of like shaking and I was like, I need to stop it. This is too exciting for me, but I really loved it. My um, issue was that I started really just despising the people like Meredith and Gretchen. I love them, except Gretchen's voice hour after hour after hour. Um, I was not, <laughs> I was just like, so like, would you shut up already? Um, so I think that you're right. Doing this on a weekly basis, I think, seems to be a better, much more palatable way of uh, taking a look at things because it's kind of like being cramped up with somebody on, let's say, a train for 24 hours at a time uh, when you're really watching all these things all at once. So yeah, I think that it's it's good in smaller doses there. But I'm mm -hmm. glad you had a good experience with it, though. Yeah, and I think in general it holds up as something that it's still interesting to watch in 2019, but it does have a lot of those 2005 types of attitudes, so there's a lot of casual racism and sexism and other kind of just problematic things that are kind of sprinkled in, and you right. just have to accept that that was more prevalent in the culture at the time. Um, it's not great, it's not acceptable, but it is just something that happened back then. Um, but otherwise, I really enjoyed it, and I think that, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to do another season of Amazing Race later on for this podcast, I absolutely will, because it's super fun. You got plenty of them to choose from. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's about it. Um, thank you so much for suggesting this and for coming on the podcast. Um, is there anything that you want to plug, or do you want to give your social media or anything like that? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you, first of all, for having me on. Um, social media wise, um, on Instagram and on Twitter, I am Mr. Underscore Shiny, S-H-I-N-Y. And Mr. is just M-R. Um, so I have an underscore in my name, which makes things very, very difficult there. Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm funny every so often. And on Instagram, my cats are funny, I guess. <laughs> I also, for the book that I'm writing, I'm starting to blog a little bit about the writing process, which is also going very slowly. Um, but if you're interested in a book, if you're interested in a blog about writing a blog, which becomes a book, uh, clinicsidewalkbook.com is going to be where that's at. And I haven't updated for a while, but I will now that this is coming out and I don't want to get embarrassed or anything. So um, yeah, that, that's really where I am. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll my, have my home address, if you want to contact me there, is 2582. No. All right. Triangulate him, everyone. Get out your uh, pencils and paper and write that down. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. Um, if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or Twitter or wherever else in the world. Um, I'm on Facebook at Snapback to Reality Podcast, on Instagram at Snapback to Reality Pod, and my Gmail is snapbackpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, so feel free to send me a message. And until next time, bye. Bye.